Welcome to Season 5 of the Leadership Educator Podcast, your source for knowledge and expertise in facilitating leadership education, training, and development. Interested in keeping up with the latest conversations across the leadership discipline? Want to add more to your resource toolbox with practical strategies for teaching, learning, and program design without changing your routine? This is the podcast for you. If you haven't done so already, please hit subscribe so you'll never miss an episode. Well, hello and welcome to the Leadership Educator Podcast. I'm Dan Jenkins, Chair and Associate Professor of Leadership and Organizational Studies at the University of Southern Maine. And I am Lauren Bullock, Assistant Professor of Instruction at Temple University. And we're both thrilled about today's episode of the podcast with our guest, Damian Medina, Vice Provost for Student Affairs at the University of Southern Maine. Welcome to the show, Damian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to uh, be able to share some thoughts with you all. Before we jump in and have this conversation, just want to share with our audience, this season we're looking at leadership from a global perspective. We've talked about leadership both in the U.S. and outside, but this time around we'll feature leadership educators from Europe, Africa, Australia, and Asia. And before I turn it over to Dan, I'm also happy we have some student affairs professionals here. This should be a good conversation. For sure. And I'm excited that Damien is now part of the the USM family here in the greater Portland area. So uh, let's see, does this does this... Is this a conflict of interest? So I was on Damien's search committee, um, and then, um, <laughs> but we did get finally get a chance to, to catch up in, um, in person over the weekend. In fact, because the search was conducted primarily virtually over the summer, and my schedule just didn't permit even for Damien's campus visit, I didn't get a chance to connect with him in person. And so it was it was uh, nice to share our joy and love of uh, college football over the weekend, uh, even though the. Even though the Knowles didn't uh, didn't perform as as I would have hoped, um, but it was it was a great conversation, and um, just so glad that that Damian joined uh, joined the family here and and brought this wealth of, of student affairs knowledge to to our campus community. And um, you know, I, I learned a little bit about Damian, but I'm really excited to learn a little bit more uh, about that. And, and of course, we do have that that Florida State connection, uh, which Lauren and I always like to joke about because uh, it seems like we're always one degree connected. And I know Damian, you you had taught. Um, a couple courses uh, in global uh, leadership education or what have you for for Florida State at, at some point in your career, but you've been all over the world. Uh, and I'm really excited to learn a little bit more about this story of how you um, came to uh, get involved in international education, student affairs and leadership education and all those things that, that brought you to your current role. So yeah, Damon, tell us a little bit about that. Thank you so much. And yeah, I have to just say one thing I've learned throughout the field is it's a small world and there's so many connections. So we have that Florida State connection, but like there's just so many others that I meet colleagues. I'm like, wait a second, who do you know or how do you know this person? So it's really interesting, but I'm excited to be part of the USM family. And uh, and again, thank you for letting me join. Um, well, my path has been very interesting. Um, a little bit about myself, just so y'all know, I've I've worked in the States um, right out of grad school a little bit, but I also have worked in over in a number of areas in the in the world, four countries. And I've also traveled to 64 countries and territories to uh, which includes those four that I've lived in uh, to explore and immerse myself as well. So I have uh, experience in uh, vast areas. Um, but for me, it all really started with wanting to study abroad uh, when I was in college. Uh, and it was here's a funny story. I actually 
uh, was sitting down in the cafeteria, picked up the newspaper, and there was a little article about wanting to, you know, do you want to learn about World War II and, you know, and Auschwitz concentration camp and all this. And at that point, I was actually in the process of changing majors and wanted to maybe go into history because my I found out my mother had a huge interest in it and we had been talking about it. And I was so excited. I said, call this number. So I called the number. And, the, and then I learned the conversation that this wasn't just a class, this was actually a study abroad program. And within probably five, 10 minutes of that conversation, I hanged up the phone, walked over to the study abroad office and signed up, made a $300 deposit, didn't have a clue how I was going to pay for it. Uh, and just like, there's, I've always wanted to go abroad, I'm going to make it happen. And that's really where my interest of wanting to you know, work abroad started. Um, then it actually got more interesting piece within student affairs during my master's program. Uh, I always tell people never, you never know what something will lead to. And this is a great example. I, I volunteered to be a van driver for a Chinese delegation of student affairs professionals who had come to our campus because our director of our master's program and a colleague uh, had gone to do the same over in China. So I signed up and being the shy person that I, I am not, I was talking up with everybody and one of the individuals was very friendly and we started just chatting it up. And I kept saying like, yeah, how, how great would it be if I can go there? And he was all, everybody really was, you're welcome, you're welcome. But he really kind of went a little further and was like, please come, you know, we have opportunities, you know, I'll get you to go. And I started to actually believe this, but I'm like, they're just all probably just wanting to welcome anybody. And I didn't really take it completely. But throughout the process, we stayed in contact. I actually ended up in for my master's internship. I knew I wanted to try to do something international. And I had two opportunities. One was to go work in Ireland um, with kind of, I worked in the student union of our campus and I had a connection there. And then I had the opportunity to go to China and I and they were able to also give me some funding when I got there to be able to, you know, housing and some other transportation locally in the country. And um, while Ireland would have been kind of like the more easier opportunity, I said, I need to push myself, go further. And so China was like, you know, who gets to go to China? That's so remote. It's not known about. Remember, this is many moons ago. So this was back, you know, what, in 2004. So it was very, very different than it is now. And it was all, and a lot of people didn't know about it. So I said, you know what, I'm going to push myself. There was also a challenge because China still wasn't guaranteed. I was still going through that process. There were visa issues. They kept telling me things were going to work out from there, but I didn't have a guarantee. Ireland was set, but I needed to make a decision. So I ended up giving my experience to my colleague who ended up actually getting married and then using that trip as a honeymoon. So it worked out great. But the experience wasn't what it was. Um, she told me it was ended up being more like a, like a secretary kind of job and really didn't get as much out of it. Um, so I was actually fortunate. Um, mine went through, I also got a grant through uh, one of our campus departments and, and I went and it was a nine week experience in uh, Xi'an Ta University. Uh, and I was kind of like the assistant director of the Communist Youth League and got to advise several student organizations. And I got to actually have a number of students who are my translators because most people did not, uh, you know, no English there. Um, Xi'an is really more central China, so it's not as progressive as Shanghai or Beijing, especially 15 years ago. Me being the extrovert that I am, I had gone better. You know, you would think all these people wanted to talk to me would have been great, but actually because of the, the challenge of everybody wanted to talk English with me, mainly for that purpose and having so be overwhelmed, which is so interesting for me, 
I actually be, like wanted to get away from people and become more of an introvert even. So it was a very interesting experience. And that to me also just, you know, the experience of going abroad really brought up the concept of leadership also, because those were conversations I was having with student leaders from the organizations I was advising to even just helping students make decisions on going to university in China. Uh, students really depend on the, the professors or the administrators when they talk to them. I mean, I had a student tell me, you know, where sh what should I major? And she's like, whatever you tell me, I'll major in. And I'm like, what do you mean? And it was so interesting, but that was so common. Whatever the administrator says, they follow. And I actually gave them advice. And later on, I was like, did I just do something wrong? And actually, I talked to the student. I talked to the so I took I took that chance to really have a learning opportunity for the students and also the parents. And and I really like I gave them advice, but I never told them this is what they should do. I gave them options, and the decision was theirs. And it was really interesting. The parents told obviously my supervisor, who was obviously my translator, that they had never had that happen before. Like you're giving our our, our child a, an opportunity to make a choice that was very uncommon. Um, and so I learned a lot in that experience and uh, opened my eyes in so many ways, but it also continued my passion for working abroad. And then it just continued. I actually applied and it got an offer from the American University of Kuwait out of grad school. But due to some uh, personal and family health matter, well, mostly family health matters, I decided to stay in the States. Interesting enough, three years later, uh, an opportunity. So that was for a coordinator role, an opportunity to become a director of department. And three years out of grad school was a huge uh, way to, for me to move up supervising staff overseeing department at the same institution with the same dean opened up and um, I decided to run with it my supervisor was aware I wanted to go international and that's really where that started and except for a one-year stint where I came back to the to the states and it was mainly for family health reasons then I ended up continuing so I worked at American University of Kuwait for a little bit over three years came back for a year uh, worked uh, but then moved on and then I ended up going to uh, Franklin College, but then became Franklin University, Switzerland. And then after that, went to uh, my alma mater, Texas A&M University in Qatar, um, and worked at the international campus there for two years before I became the assistant dean at uh, Duke Kunshan University, which was my last stint before coming back into the U.S. and being part now of the USM family and bringing all that wealth of experience here. Uh, during that time, uh, I've worked on a number of things. One of the things, as Dan mentioned, was working on the Global Leadership Program. I was very fortunate. One of my uh, very close colleagues that we connected, actually, when she was at University of South Florida, was Kat Callahan. Um, so she and I um, were reached out by Kathy Guthrie, who is a, a, a major person in the leadership education in the field and uh, reached out to us um, through mutual connections about wanting to teach and co-teach. And so we taught that class at least two, if not three semesters, probably. Some of those were multiple classes in the summer as well. Uh, it was a great opportunity to really uh, bring my passions of both leadership, because that is something that I've grown with and kind of is, I consider myself somebody who is a specialist in it, obviously not the strongest, but definitely one that I, that one that I admire in area with my biggest passion, which is intercultural, you know, learning um, and being abroad. Um, and for me, one of the biggest things that I get about working internationally, when I work with students in the States, we all know that our students go through four years of university, maybe sometimes five or six, as we know, for some, 
But I always feel that even if they go to college for years because of various aspects of, you know, uh, how they've been raised, maturity, different things, I think our students really mature about six years worth is how I look at it in a time frame of four years. Um, but when you work internationally, I really feel our students over there because of how much they depend on their parents and how many decisions are made, they really become their own individuals in the university. And so for me in a four year time span abroad, especially in certain parts of the world, I actually feel our students really mature about 10 years worth, even more so than our students in the States. So I love that you shared that point. And I'm going to ask you to put a pin in that because we're going to we're going to circle back to that. But something so meaningful that you said kind of when you were sharing your story about studying abroad that I think folks sometimes miss is, you, you know, you're like, I had the money to get started and then kind of trusted that either the opportunity would align or the funds would align. And yeah. I think so often when we're talking with students about their international study abroad experience, we're like, OK, make sure that you have enough money and make sure this. Yeah. And sometimes it's like you got to lean out on the ledge a little bit. Or, or like take up that first step a little bit, right? Oh. Like my, yeah, yeah. And, and there are so many great programs out there that can help students not just have these great meaningful experiences, mm -hmm. but also can help them finance, right? Yeah. And so I, I love that you share that as a part of your story um, yeah. in, getting, in getting connected. And Lauren, I'll go a little bit further in that piece. I, I'm laughing on the side when you're saying that because I'll be honest, my student debt started actually with that experience of going to Poland. Mm -hmm. I got credit cards. I had to put some debt on it. I got some money from family. I got grants. But here's the thing. I don't regret that. I think I, you know, there's always these struggles. I've had it with even some of my cousins and family members like, no, don't go into debt. Stay here in the local community college and then go to university or don't go abroad, you know, stay in and just, you know, use your funds for that. First of all, a lot of universities now have opened up a lot of their funds for like financial aid to be able to be used to get used study abroad programs. Students don't know that. There's a number of different, and especially in bigger schools, there's a lot of like international departments that offer scholarships. Mine was a $2,000 grant that it pretty much helped me get my main cost of going to China, which was my flight. A lot of my extra money, be, keep in mind, this was 15 years. There was no Skype. There was no FaceTime. There was no WhatsApp. So I needed, I ended up spending several hundred dollars on phone cards. Right. So it was that extra money or the extra money for me to travel. I don't come from a very wealthy family. I, I So I really went out of my way. And that is where I, you know, that debt kind of was an issue. But here's my thing. I always tell people, whether it's going to a university where you should go to and maybe not like, oh, I'm going to get some debt or even just study abroad experiences. These are investments at the end of the day. Because think about it, in today's uh, you know, global challenging society, we're really competing against so many individuals for the job market. So how do you stand up about the rest? Well, oh, I've got a 4 Well, you know what? There's another 100 or 1,000 people with a 4 right? Well, I've been a student leader. Well, who, ha who hasn't been a student leader? But the one thing that you feel, especially in the US, is there's only, I think there was a statistic, it's like 16% of Americans, which includes obviously our, our students, have a passport. All right, it's a very small, I don't know the exact number, but it's extremely small. So when you have that opportunity, that's going to stand above the rest. And then if you can articulate in a language in your like interviews of how the growth that you had as an international participant, that is going to make you stand above the rest. Because if you think about it, in today's world market, even in the world that I, in the work that I do, I always tell students, I'm not like for here, being here at the University of Southern Maine, I've already told students, I'm not here to get you ready for Portland. I'm not here to get you ready for Maine or even the US. I'm getting you ready to be a, a participant in the global challenging society. Because when you go work at a company, 
You might, like, here's an example. My friend works for Dell, but he oversees three factories, two that are in China. So he has to be working with people in other parts of the country, other parts of the world. You got to understand cultural sensitivity, intercultural communication. There's all these pieces, leadership development. How do you, how do you help advance your team when they're in another part of the world? What is, what do the titles mean? That's a big part across the world. So I tell people having that international experience and be able to like, it's not like about being a tourist when you go abroad. It's about immersing yourself. You know, I, I meet so many students when I worked at an Ivy League university, like, oh, this weekend I'm going to France and this and that. But are you really immersing yourself? Are you really learning the culture and the challenges or the issues that are going on developmentally within the, your classmates and stuff? And only when you're studying abroad or you're able to be there at least three to four weeks or longer, can you really do that? So really, it's an investment in your in your development. It's an investment in your in your education and your career. That little experience will probably open up a wealth of opportunities because they want people that are they're globally minded. There's there's opportunities where why wow, you 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 know you understand you know working in this country maybe you took some language classes. Well, we have an opportunity that's opened up for that too. Well, guess what? Those opportunities also probably pay more, right? The development you got when you were working abroad is probably also going to make you better at uh, conflict management and other components as well. Well, that means you're probably going to move up to a leadership position within your job even quicker as well. It comes down to hireable or, you know, entrepreneurial and immersing yourself in a completely new culture are some, those are some of the things that you don't realize that at the time you're really just trying to survive in that country. Yeah. You know what I mean? Sometimes like, just cause it can be so different from home. Yes. Um, you bring up some really, really good points. One thing that you shared that um, I'd like to touch on really quickly is the idea of like the country you go to and the immersive experience. So, so in the state of Pennsylvania, there's a program called the Vira Hines program, and it's for it's for women. It's for people who identify as women and have an interest in leadership development. So you have to have some participation on campus or in the community. You have to identify as a woman and you have to um, want to go to a non-Western country in most cases. Yeah. Um, and it's simply because of what you said, like if, if you, like you said with Ireland, it felt, you know, not a little too easy, but it felt like there were a lot of similarities mm -hmm. and the immersion experience might not be as challenging. Yes. And with this program, they foster not just going and taking classes, but they foster you going to a, a non-Western country. And I believe in this program, you have to do some kind of project when you come back, tying your community in Pennsylvania to the community where you went and you have to come, you have to pitch a project. And so some of the things you talked about, like this program in Pennsylvania, they've structured it so that you, you can't participate without some kind of meaningful experience. And, yeah. and each school selects students to go. Um, we in the past have had between three and five every year go with the exception of last year, they did not run the program. Um, but, but before you even go to another country, they do two training programs, I believe. And one is solely focused on cultural immersion and, and learning how not to be this tourist Yes. To really think about the community and the beauty of the space that you're going to. And even in non-Western countries, really valuing the culture there and, and not bringing, you know, like your, your privileged American identity into those spaces sure. and really thinking about the, the value of that culture. Um, yes. But before we even get into that, um, can you talk, so you talked about some of the advice you gave to your students. Um, can you talk a little bit about the differences maybe between being abroad and being here in terms of your role in student affairs? 
Yeah. Here's a funny story. My assistant dean when I was in Kuwait and then later on moved on to higher roles, but he was applying for a job in the States and the vice president of student affairs asked him a question and he goes, so, you know, since you've been away from the States, you, you, it obviously is probably means that you don't know what's going on in the, in the field right now. And he just was in awe that he thinks that being abroad means that we don't deal with the same issues we do in the US. So he actually had to educate this seasoned, very seasoned professional who has a PhD, who doesn't have a clue that being abroad doesn't mean you just don't deal. It's like my mom asking me, so what do they eat you know, in China or Kuwait? And I was like, ooh, mom, they eat, guess what? This weird thing called chicken. <laughs> and beef just it's made differently right and so so I tell people being abroad as a student first professional one first of all it is very different and people if they want to go abroad I mean it's a great opportunity has a lot of benefits but has a lot of challenges and I think those are the things that people have to really realize that personal side of things being different and also uh, professionally I think you're still dealing with the same issues, but you have so many different contexts you have to take more into consideration. You know, here we look at our students and yes, we have to consider, you know, certain aspects, especially the multicultural international student, but it's not at the forefront. When you're in the Middle East, for example, you have to consider, you know, you're working in a, the majority are Muslim students. So everything's at the forefront where that wouldn't be as much of a forefront in the States, even though you have to consider that. So it kind of switches kind of your approach to doing things, or you have to think outside the box very different. Here's a great example. When I was in Kuwait, alcohol and drinking and driving was obviously taboo. It was not allowed in the country, but we knew a lot of our students were doing it, even though it's not allowed. So we had to come up with a pro. How do we do that? So we got our thinking caps. We ended up getting these uh, go-karts with the, the, drink, the drunk driving goggles, which are very common in the States. We're like, well, how do we do this? If we do this program on just alcohol, the Ministry of Education is probably going to shut us down. So and the, the idea I have to give credit came from my assistant director, and then we really developed it. And what we did is we got, you know, those science boards that, for science fairs. We did this a, a number of those, and it was based on um, doing like uh, distractions. So eating, back then it was Blackberry, so BBMing, texting, uh, putting on makeup, doing your hair. And if you leave Kuwait, drinking and driving right and then you wear the goggles the goggles are the distraction in driving and obviously nobody could drive straight but again everybody knew it was about alcohol but we couldn't actually promote it other than when you leave the country so and i'm doing that in quotes i know this is not on video but i think it's one of those where it's like we still deal with the same thing but in the states you just oh we have an alcohol problem let's do a program on alcohol you can't do that in countries where those things are not allowed or sexual education is very taboo in other parts of the world. So I can't have a bulk of condoms in my desk for people to just pick up when they need, but we know that's happening. So how do we address those type of things or have those conversations on sexuality, intimacy, all that. So it's really, if you think about it, it's significantly actually harder to be a student first professional abroad than it is in the US. And going back to my earlier comment, because of that and that growth that students go through, which is, you know, if you think about it, very much developmental leadership aspect, students grow so much in a matter of four years because they, there's so much that they haven't learned about, they haven't been open. I always feel the higher education is a chance for us to challenge 
our normal sense of, of life and really start challenging yourself and how you think and grow. Like they say, the mind is a muscle. You have to, you know, really exercise it. And that definitely happens significantly more in the States. Uh, I mean, sorry, outside the States, because again, the, a lot of the students have been very sheltered and really been driven by the family or the society, which is usually not as open as Western societies. And I think this is one of the biggest reasons why I always tell people going abroad, don't go to something that you're used to because then you're not really stretching yourself. You're not growing. You're not developing yourself. You're not taking the leadership piece that you really can then take even much further because you're just doing something that you're used to. You know, uh, coming in here in Maine, it's like I came from the South. Very different. I got to, you know, approach it a little differently also. I love the, the creative experiential learning experiences that, that you've been able to, you know, kind of tailor to, to the different the different contexts and, and the different cultures for, for sure. I'm curious, and you, and you keep kind of kind of hinting at, you know, how leadership development is kind of infused into some of those experiences. What, what were some of the and certainly it sounds like you brought some of these experiences into teaching that global leadership uh, yes. course for at Florida State. Uh, I'm curious, like what what were some of the maybe some of the learning activities or um, some of the experiences that that you were able to to facilitate working at some of these these campuses abroad? Because you had mentioned that some of the roles that you had did include some uh, leadership development responsibilities. Like what was that like and how might you compare that to teaching a class? for students in the US on global leadership versus you know actually teaching students in another country about leadership development and and having to account for all of those cultural and contextual factors yeah I think one of the biggest things for me I think when when we're teaching we do leadership training leadership courses also abroad is we have and again going back to what I mentioned about kind of where the students are it's starting at a uh, you know I don't want to say a lower stage but we have to kind of do more introductory pieces, right? When we talk about certain things with people in the States, some of them already understand that because they've had that in high school. They've, 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 they're already student leaders on campus and they've already gone certain trainings. Abroad, we're really starting from scratch to some levels, right? So it's not like, let's just do Myers-Briggs. You know, that's a little more advanced. In the States, people even in high school have heard of Myers-Briggs. Uh, internationally, we're probably going to start with something more simple like True Colors, where it's more simplistic and understanding and start talking about how what it means to have the different personalities as you start learning that so that you start with students kind of at an entry level you do that more be like at your freshman level stage and you'll get to Myers-Briggs but more like in your senior level for them to be better prepared to go on to the real world and learning about themselves and again applying those things that you're learning like an example of True Colors or Myers-Briggs to how they develop themselves how they work with each other and being leaders going from one level to the next um or like I said, in the States, we use true colors, but it's not as common because I think there's other tools that are more advanced that are helpful. And I think the other thing, too, is I've used, you know, different things like Myers-Briggs. One of the things that I use is StrengthsQuest, which I very much uh, advocate for. I went and got trained with, with Gallup for it. And so I've actually used it abroad significantly. And to me, that's a great leadership development tool because it talks about the positivity, the strengths of people. One of the things I see a lot, um, I think, in the US where we're more individually driven, there's a little bit more about positivity and like drive and ambition where internationally I see it more like they look at more like, well, I'm weak in this and I need to improve my weaknesses and stuff. And I think it's a lot of how they've grown and also how there's a lot of um, 
you know, top down leadership in a lot of these countries. And so it's it, sometimes people feel like, well, I'm at the bottom, so I'm not as good as my boss or my leader. So really that aspect of bringing in the strengths really is, hey, everybody has strengths. Your weaknesses, we can all work on, but it's about the way to really make yourself stand out is using your strengths and what you bring to the table. So Strengths Quest is one of those that I really you know, use a lot. Um, and I think really students appreciate that because sometimes they don't, um, in certain countries more than others, it seems to be like it, the putting down sometimes of people is more common than it is to bring out the positivity of why they're good in their job and things like that. Um, because a lot of it's more top driven. So they want to keep power uh, at the top, which is really interesting. Again, that's not every country, but that does happen in a number of countries that I've experienced. An incredible point because the whole purpose. So Dan and I are both Clifton Strengths certified as well. That the whole point of Clifton is not even to kind of throw away the other twenty nine and really mm. kind of focus on you know that your top five. And and the, I wonder if the fact that they don't even get the full thirty four may bother them. You know, it's like okay, great. I find, I know that these uh. are the things. What what's at the bottom of that list? Yes. Um, I also wonder too. You talked a little bit about you know here in in the U.S. versus the other places that you've worked. I also wonder if there's some kind of uh, like gender or race dynamic too, because I also know like when I work with uh, people who identify as more feminine, they tend to to try to focus on what they need to fix, and it's like, well, no, you're good. Focus on these things, you'll get better. So I wonder if there's some of that as well as switching from a positional leadership frame to more of a, we all have power and influence it, and mm -hmm. here's how you use it. Like, are those two things, you know, kind of difficult? Those are specifically gender in the many countries around the world, uh, you know, and I think we still struggle, obviously in the States, of course, but um, and in Western countries, I think we've advanced more, but I think in the non-Western countries, the gender piece is significant. I'll give you an example, working in the Middle East, while it is one of the toughest things for me, um, to the work there because of this point that I'm about to make, it actually is the biggest reason why I love working there. And that's empowering women. Women in the Middle East are actually considered to be property by law in most countries to the father and then the husband. And so education really starts breaking that down. And which is why some countries that are very, very uh, conservative do not allow females to continue an education past you know, high school because it empowers them. Um, and so there is that gender piece is very, very uh, driven in certain ways. And also the gender piece doesn't even come into just education. It comes into the aspect of the workforce, uh, having families, China struggling with that. If, you've, if some of you have kept up with China recently, they just changed their policy that, that, that couples can have up to three babies, mainly because they're going to have a gap coming up. But the issue is there's already so much ingrained into society from the one child policy to you know, females being more empowered, not having the financial resources for it. There's a lot of pieces there. And then there was a huge article that came out on CNN a couple of months ago that I read that was talking about how while the country is promoting more babies, females are, are actually discouraged in their, in their workforce. They're even being like, they're, they're getting disincentivized or being even laid off because they wanna have more kids um, and, they're not in, and they're, they're not conducive to that in the workforce. So again, those are all gender-based things. Um, race, obviously, um, you know, in the, in, well, when I say race, and I'll be honest, race is not as big of an issue internationally as nationality. 
Race is a big thing, obviously, anywhere around the world. But when you go abroad, and I use the example of the Middle East specifically, um, you know, yes, race is a, a factor, but over there, like hierarchy is really nationality. So like, I'll give you an example in Kuwait. Kuwaitis are at the top of the chain, US Americans, the British, and the list goes on until it gets down to, you know, Indian, Bangladesh, et cetera. And depending on your nationality, it also even caters you to being a certain type of workforce. So I had a colleague of mine, and this actually happened in Qatar. She was Indian and she was a doctor or a professor, something very high. It was actually my friend's, uh, my colleague's friend who told me the story. And then um, somebody thought that they were just like a, a house cleaner or something because they were just Indian and they happened to just be in normal clothes. But it's the nationality applies or, okay, well, if you're in this nationality, you work in this industry. If you're in this nationality, you work over here. Um, if you have an American passport, you have these advantages over somebody else. That takes precedence over race, but race obviously is connected to nationality as well. So these issues do play a big factor in the development, the mindset of people in society, and really the leadership, because all those things apply to the hierarchy of work, how people are you know, perceived in, in education as well, uh, opportunities that are given to them. So there's a lot that comes into play. So that was a, a really good question. Hopefully with what I just shared kind of gives you some different perspective. Yeah, it, it does make uh, so much sense. I was listening to uh, an NPR. I can't remember what podcast it was, but they were talking about some of the HR challenges out in California. And there, there are in the tech industry, there are a lot of uh, people from India who work. And the problem they were having was they were coming over to the U.S. and we have, you know, different rules around HR. And there were so many people who were afraid to say anything about their history or family history in India, um, even as much as answering the question, tell me a little, like, are you a vegetarian or do you have dietary needs? Because it could allude to their caste or, or the location or region they were from. And I was, I was, you know, sitting there listening to it and I was floored because, you know, I'm like, you know, in Philadelphia, whenever we have events, it's, you got to have a vegetarian option and, you know, you got it. And I'm like, I'm not trying to out anybody. I'm trying to make sure, you know, we don't have to call a medic because of a food allergy. Right. And so it's like those little things that you don't know if you're not stepping outside and either learning about or visiting these other spaces, those are the little things that in this case was getting tech companies sued um, because the the people the employees were able to say that they felt once they answered certain questions their supervisors were who were also indian were turning around and they were doing workplace harassment mm -hmm. so if someone came to me and said asking your your, your food status like your dietary restrictions was going to lead to her to workplace uh harassment and challenges I, I don't know like what but it's something that's happening and again those are like the little things that as a leader and, and what we teach our students, these are the things you have to talk about so that when they get into these roles, they, they have that they have that understanding, you know? Yeah. And you yeah. bring up a great point also, because one thing I even promote here at, at USM or US institutions, you know, uh, like for example, when I was in China, we talked about uh, international and Chinese students. I said, but you can't just block them. International obviously is diverse in different countries, 
But within China, there's so much diversity as well, right? And people are different. So being here, I tell people, well, we might be off a lot of, obviously we have a smaller population of international students here. We have a lot of diversity, not only from the US, but a lot of diversity within Maine, right? Those differences, I mean, it could be as simple as how you make pancakes up in Northern Maine from Southern Maine, right? Or how you do your grits or however that might be. You have a family recipe. There's these specific things that are very, that are very different between our cultures because of uh, how we've been, how we've grown up. So interesting, these like different layers of, of complexity. And I, I think about how would you approaching a, a, a learning goal of, of like inclusivity and, and thinking about all these other, all these other variables of, gosh, I was just doing a, a unit in, in my class where we, we broke out the old diversity wheel and talking about the different layers of, and elements of diversity and uh, really trying to get students thinking so much about their social identities and how that impacts their leadership experiences and um, not only the future experiences, but experiences they had had and, and things of that nature. And, and from your stories of going to these, to these other countries and doing some of this work, um, it just adds, it adds so many more layers of thinking about nationality and how that comes into play where in the US, some of the things that I think either through the media or through television and, and what have you. I mean, we've we've done, a, I guess, a decent job. Some folks might uh, disagree with me of being able to portray uh, individuals from any race or nationality in, in any role or in any job or in any career or what have you. And, and thinking about how that has, is something that you've got to kind of, that you're fighting with um, when you're trying to uh, introduce some of those types of topics and um Gosh, that's that's a challenge I hadn't even really considered about how some of those complexities are are yeah. part of it. You know, Damon, we've you've shared so much with us. It's really it's been a great conversation. I'm I'm curious, is there anything we didn't ask you that you'd want to share with our leadership educator uh, audience here? There's so much I love to share. I think there was so much <laughs> on different questions I could still ask. I can still add. Uh, no, I think the biggest thing I think that when I think of leadership, that I think always comes to mind for me is that we have to remember that every single person is different and we have to respect those differences. And that's where I think it's so, uh, leadership is so hard to really dive into completely because some of those things are more standardized, right? And then there's so many differences between each people. And there's a lot of context and background to people that we don't know. So when you're applying certain leadership aspects or conversations, you know, some people will see it differently because of how they've been ingrained and they're growing up like females in certain countries. They've been told their entire life they're just going to be housewives and they're just going to have kids. So to change that mindset, you can approach it like you would a female student in the States who's grown up more individualistic. So it's about really looking and taking everything into consideration and the full context of the person which sometimes is gender, identity, international, uh, you know, to even just the history of what they've gone through in their life, you know, somebody having a very bad experience personally would affect them also in how they work as a leader in society. Um, and so there's just so much, it's so interesting, but I think it's one of those things that we continue to evolve as we grow and as we challenge uh, uh, our professionals out there that are doing leadership to really take everything into consideration. Um, that's the one thing that I think is, is really important. I go by, um, uh, you know, seven habits of highly effective people. Uh, habit number five, seek first to understand, then to be understood is one of the ones that I try to look by. And then if you've never heard of the platinum rule, 
so we have the golden rule, the platinum rule. Obviously, the golden rule, you know, do as you would like it to be done, right? The platinum rule is, you, you know, treat others how you they would like to be treated. And I think that needs to be kept in mind, especially when you're working with uh, international communities and how they are, because again, it's very different than how you would like to be treated and how you've grown up in your context. I think you have to keep that in mind very heavily. So those are the things I'd like to probably, you know, kind of share that. I mean, I think for me, come to mind a lot. Those are some some great points to end on. You know, similarly in my teaching, I like to surface assumptions, and and students sometimes are are their minds are blown when you you talk about some of the things that they assume, and they're like, kind of it's like this for everyone, and I'm like, it is not. And what a wonderful thing that we can explore it in this class. And so I I, I agree um, wholeheartedly with that. Um, we'd love to thank you today for joining us for taking time out of your busy schedule. We know you're just getting there and hitting the ground at USM, and so we're grateful for your time. Great for your leadership and want to wish you the best there in your involvement in NASPA, as well as as an inter international student affairs professional. Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Lauren. Thank you, Dan, for allowing me to be part of this podcast. You're welcome. It was a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership Educator Podcast. Remember, you can download all our episodes on all available podcast platforms. And when you go, please make sure you rate us five stars, as the more you rate us, the easier it is for others to find us. That's right, Lauren. We also invite you to interact with us on Twitter at Lead Educator Pod. That's L-E-A-D-E-D-U-C-A-T-O-R-P-O-D. And on LinkedIn by searching for the Leadership Educator Podcast. You can also follow us on LinkedIn by name. And on Twitter, I'm at Dr. Underscore Leadership. And Lauren is at M-R-S-L-A-U-R-J-B. That's Miss Laura J-B. We'd like to thank the James M. Cox Jr. Institute for Journalism Innovation, Management, and Leadership within the Grady College of Journalism and Mass Communication at the University of Georgia. The support was facilitated by Dr. Keith Herndon, William S. Morris Chair in News Strategy and Management. And a wonderful theme music was composed, performed, and mixed by Dr. Matthew White, trumpeter, composer, and associate professor and chair of jazz studies now at the University of South Carolina. You can check him out at www.mattwhitejazz.com. Matt, thank you so much for sharing your musical genius with our listeners. During the season, you will hear episodes featuring International Leadership Association members working globally to drive leadership education. Visit ilaglobalnetwork.org slash podcast for more information and to join the association. And finally, this podcast would not be possible without our chief partner, the Association of Leadership Educators. Please check out the ALE and all it has to offer at leadershipeducators.org. We hope you will listen to our next episode wherever you get your podcasts. Mm -hmm.